Guys, thanks for listening to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. I also want to thank the following sponsors for their support of this podcast. Without them, this podcast would not be possible. I want to thank the Go Hunt Insider, uh, Lorenzo Sartini and his crew over at Go Hunt. They have created the Insider, which is an amazing tool for you guys that are researching all these different western states and looking for which units to apply for and put in for. Uh, They also have the Go Hunt Maps, the Go Hunt Gear Shop. Uh, Right now, go to GoHunt.com, click Sign Up for the Insider. Uh, Use the J. Scott promo code. You're going to get a $50 Go Hunt Gear Shop gift card just for signing up. Go Hunt's been with me since the beginning of 2015. When I started this podcast, they've been a very loyal title sponsor of this podcast. I want to thank them for their support. Make sure to go and sign up for the Go Hunt Insider. Use the J. Scott promo code. Guys, I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. That's K-U-I-U.com. Kuyu Ultralight Hunting is a direct-to-consumer uh, brand that sells the best ultralight hunting equipment and gear on the market today. Uh, you can go to KUIU.com, KUIU.com, and order directly there on their website. I also want to thank Phonescope.com, Cheston, the guys over at Phonescope. Go to Phonescope.com. Anything you order there, use the JScott23 promo code and you're going to get a 10% discount there at Phonescope. I also want to thank Lathrop & Sons, their custom boot system and custom footbed manufacturer. Uh, These guys are the boot doctors, the boot gurus. Um, They're very, very helpful. They know a lot about boots. Uh, I have switched this season to the Lathrop & Sons Encompass boot. Uh, That's what I've worn primarily on my coos deer and mule deer hunts in Mexico. And then I use the Mountain Hunter uh, for my sheep hunts, uh, specifically desert sheep. Uh, in any of that uh, more technical terrain, uh, Lathrop & Sons has a phenomenal 3D mapping imprints and, and tracing kit. Uh, they make custom orthotics, uh, just really, really comfortable, uh, very user-friendly boots and custom insoles. Uh, go to lathropandsons.com. To find out more information, you can also check out Lathrop & Sons on Instagram. They have three custom boot options, the Mountain Hunter, the Mountain Hunter Elite, and the Mountain Hunter Encompass, as well as the High Country Synergy Footbeds Custom. Uh, They also make all of these custom footbeds in wide and super wide, as well as the boots, which is rare for a boot manufacturer. Reach out to the owners, Stephen and James at Lathrop & Sons at 618-544-544. 8782. That's com. Guys, I want to thank you for supporting this podcast. Love to hear your feedback. Uh, any questions you might have, you can reach out at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. That's my email address. You can follow along on Instagram at jscottoutdoors. Always feel free to send me a direct message. Love hearing from you guys. And let's get right to these episodes. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. This is your guest host again, Cliff Gray. And today I have Ryan McSparron, the owner of Budge's Lodge in the Flat Tops. And we're going to talk about the Colorado draw here that's coming up. 
Um, I've had Ryan on the podcast once before. We talked about a bunch of stuff, including including just elk hunting strategy and, and those sort of paths. But today, I really want to focus on this draw. We're going to talk a little bit about specific units, the flat tops. We'll talk about elk and deer and kind of kind of take that conversation wherever we want to want to take it. Um, but we'll also hit on some draw strategy and that sort of thing. And I, I think that'll be helpful to all the listeners out there. So uh, welcome, Ryan. Good to have you back, man. Thanks, Cliff. Appreciate it. But uh, hey, so, uh, you know, the first question I was going to ask is because uh, I've had a, a few questions here recently for folks and, and I'm actually in the Caribbean now, so I feel feel so clueless about it. But everybody keeps asking me about the winter and particularly the winter up where where you're outfitting in those surrounding valleys. So uh, what's your take on that right now? Yeah, it's uh, it's been a, a cold, snowy winter and in, uh, in terms of moisture, um, you know, I think if if at least the trend keeps up for uh the next couple of months here, we've got some good moisture and a green summer to look forward to. I think, you know, where we're at in the White River and Yampa River basins, we're at about 150% of normal for snowpack right now. And that's like, uh, by snowpack, that means snow water equivalent. Um, and uh, so, yeah, lots of moisture up high. And, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of things that can still affect that. You know, we could have a a dry March or dry April, which typically March is one of our biggest moisture months of the year in Colorado. Uh, so we still need some good moisture and and hopefully a nice slow melt too. You know, hopefully it doesn't get real hot and all melt off in a week. And uh, that that that'll be a big help. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and how uh, I know, I mean, you, you're you're kind of neighbors to my old outfitting business, and I think you probably have you know your summer is more summer or excuse me, your summer is more fishing centric than mine was. How, how much does that how the runoff comes off affect your fishing, Ryan? You know, um, it, it actually doesn't affect us a whole lot just because where we're at on the White River, we're pretty close to the headwaters. Right. So we don't see huge fluctuations, either high early in the year or low water late in the year, like like folks who are down at lower elevations, you know, fishing places like the Eagle in the Colorado. Um, you know, those places, obviously, they're, they're capturing snowmelt uh, from a lot of different places and tributaries. Um, and they're going to see that impact a lot more on a year like this where there's going to be a big runoff. Uh, but yeah. we're close enough to the headwaters. It, it doesn't affect us all that much. Yeah, it doesn't affect you that much. Um, yeah, and dude, I have to say it. I don't know if I've mentioned this to you before, but just above your lodge up there, that's like some of my favorite part parts of the flat tops. You know, like the, oh, man. The, the headwaters of the White River and stuff are pretty, pretty beautiful. So uh, cool, man. But uh, you know what, on the on the winter actually affecting deer and elk, um, and most I know most of your business is elk. Ryan, are you are you worried about that at this point, or what's like the what's the word on the street out there in terms of you know it, how much winter kill there's going to be? Yeah, you know I I'm not real worried about it. Where we're at, you know, the, uh, the elk have a lot of places, and deer they have a lot of places they can go when the snow gets heavy. You know, they'll just keep moving on down that White River and Yamper River drainage. Um, you know, it's there's there's other places in where the situations can be a little a little different where the, the elk and deer don't have, you know, a lot of places they can go. The Gunnison Basin is a big example. Everybody knows that one kind of tends to be prone more to winter kill on a, on a really heavy snow year. Um, but where we're at, I think. Uh, yeah, the snow where it is up high and, and those elk and deer just kind of keep moving on down those drainages. Um, I'm not worried about that having a huge impact in terms of winter kill. Yeah, you know, it's it's uh, 
it's funny you say that, Ryan, because I, I feel the same way. I feel like that winter, the winter kill deal can be so localized, like even within the region, right? Like I, I feel like the flat tops, particularly the elk, they're lucky, man, because like you say, they have like a long, long elevation grade that, that at least, you know, on, on the on the um, Colorado River side, river, uh, you know, on the Colorado River side, they can go way down. For the most part, it's undeveloped, you know, right. in, in, until they get onto the high, Highway 70 corridor. But, you know, when you jump over to the other side of the highway, you know, an eagle, you know, nowadays you, you realize how they're so much more susceptible. Because they got one where to go, and, and a lot of it's developed. So, um, yeah, I think I think the flat tops is is lucky in that regard. Uh, particularly, like you're saying on your side, you do you think most of the elk that you hunt, Ryan, uh, winter winter on the Meeker side and and down that side, or do you think some of them come over the crest and and winter on the on the Colorado River side? Yeah, I I would guess there's probably a little of both. You know, I think there's so much winter range over there on that Meeker side. My guess would be that, you know, most of those elk tend to head that direction, but I'm sure some dump off into the Colorado river side as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I always, I always wonder that too, because, you know, I always felt like with our late season hunting there, and I, I don't know, uh, you know, what your thoughts are on it, but our late season stuff, sometimes it would be phenomenal, like, uh, you know, off the charts in really similar conditions like one year with really similar similar conditions the elk you know they would show up but it wouldn't be quite as dense and then another year you'd have real similar conditions but it's just like they decided to drop off that way instead and it would just be like lights out you know right yeah yeah that fourth rifle season i feel like can be weird like that too you know one year you'll have giant herds of elk in a spot and then on another year they they decided to use a different a different piece of ground yeah, yeah, they piled off somewhere else. It's it's, it's kind of interesting, man. But uh, yeah, let's talk about the the draw a little bit, uh, Ryan. If you don't mind, um, tell us when the deadline is, and uh, if you know of any you know recent changes changes or anything that you know um, any of the viewers, resident or non residents to Colorado, should should kind of think about going into the Colorado draw. Right. So big things to know this year. Uh, you can start applying as soon as March first. Uh, that's when the application period opens up. And, and the deadline this year will be April 4th. It's always that first Tuesday in April, which this year falls on the 4th. Um, and then, you know, in terms of what's new this year, uh, really it's kind of the same program we've seen the last couple of years where um, both residents and non-residents will have to purchase a qualifying license. Um, and that continues, you know, again this year. Um, but really otherwise, um, yeah, I think I think kind of the same program we've seen the last couple of years. Yeah, no, no big, uh, big drastic changes. Mm -hmm. um, and, and and no problem at all if you don't if you don't recall this, Ryan. But do you know do you know when they're going to do another five year structure? Are they like on the they're on like the third like fourth or fifth year? Where are they on that? Yeah, so that actually just kicked off. Um, so twenty twenty four will be the last year of the current five year structure. Oh, okay. And so starting uh, really this month, they've they just kicked off the process for the 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 new five-year season structure which will begin in 2025 so there's actually a comment form i know they uh some people may have already received an email about that uh cpw started sending out uh uh just some some emails on starting to collect public input on what they want that process to look like just so the listeners uh understand that process with the five-year uh structure every five years 
essentially the CPW looks at any changes they want to make to the season structure. It could be archery dates. It could be the gaps between rifle seasons, any of that stuff. And they kind of take comment. They have a meeting about it and they get those figured out. Um, I think it's, I think people underestimate how valuable it is to make comments because they, they can make substantial changes. Well, I mean, what are, what are your thoughts on it? And, and also, man, do you have any ideas in your own mind that you'd love to see? Yeah. Oh, this is, I mean, this is a, I think a huge opportunity for hunters, uh, those who live here in Colorado and non-residents as well to have input into that process. Cause yeah, like you said, there really are some big changes that could potentially be made in terms of, of what the next five years looks like in terms of hunting seasons. You know, I think uh, some things that we're seeing on the table right now, um, I know there's been a lot of talk about muzzleloader season and whether that should continue to be concurrent in September with archery season or whether that needs to move. So the other, the other thing that we saw a big change around last time was the breaks between the seasons. So um, in, in this current five-year structure, basically what Colorado Parks and Wildlife breaks between each of the seasons. And so, you know, in years past, maybe you had a two-day or a three-day break where now we've got week-long breaks between a couple of these rifle seasons. And what that does is, you know, I think the idea there was to help try and distribute some of that pressure um, and maybe, uh, you know, let I guess let the animals relax a little bit between one rifle season and the next. Um, but I think that maybe the consequence of that is is that really moved the season dates back a lot later than they were during the previous five-year season structure so now instead of being at the end of october third rifle season falls in early november and then now our our fourth rifle season isn't until about thanksgiving um which so it really just pushed things back and you know uh different folks might have different opinions on that some may love it some may hate it but um i think those are some of the things that are going to be on the table again this time around yeah, I mean, in my mind, that would be, that's a big one, right, Ryan? Like, you know, do they want to keep these these dates so late, right? And in my mind, the biggest the biggest component of that is like, what is it doing to the deer, you know, Colorado statewide? Um, right. But the other thing, man, is there's just, there's, I, 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 at least in the business, there's a practical issue, right? You're, you have these big, long gaps. And at least I, when I was operating an outfitting business, it sucks to have those big, long gaps. Um but that's obviously just you know, centric to guides and outfitters, you know. Right. Yep. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. My my biggest concern, hands down, is the same. Is I, you know, personally, I'm just not sure we should be hunting mule deer with rifles during the rut that late November. Um, and I'll be curious to see what our parks and wildlife biologists, you know, have to say about that, or what they have in terms of data over the previous uh, or this current five year season structure. Um, but I I'd, I'd be inclined to. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't think that's great for mule deer long-term, I guess. Yeah. And, and tell me, tell me if you heard different, but so I was, so those late dates, I was guiding and outfitting during the first few years of them or the first three years of them. And we actually had a couple of those years, we had fairly mild, uh, late falls. So the deer hunting, what it wasn't like, it was like off the charts. We were killing, like just wiping out the big, the big deer. But I actually heard this last year that in, in a few units that did that did happen. What, what did, have you heard anything on that front? Yeah, I mean, I just anecdotally as well. Right. I, mean, I haven't seen any actual um, you know data on that from from the the biologist perspective. But yeah, anecdotally, I heard from from folks 
throughout the state that uh, this past year was was a really good mule deer hunt just weather wise. Um, and, uh, and of course being, you know, right during the peak of the rut too, that's, um, it's, it's great for a year of mule deer hunting, but, but I, I do wonder what that's going to do to our herds long-term and, and especially the age class. Yeah. 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 No, and, that, and I heard kind of the same thing anecdotally also, but it sounded like to me, like any, any units that had, you know, late seasons and they, and they had really huntable winter range, the deer got, the deer got pounded, um, but, uh, right. but yeah, it'll be interesting to hear, you know, what, uh, you know, what, what comes out of that. But, uh, Ryan, let's talk about the, uh, the elk draw as it relates to the flat tops or any of the other, other areas you, you, um, that you, that you're familiar with and, and kind of let people know how that, how that structure works in terms of archery, uh, into the rifle seasons and what they need to know if they're wanting to hunt in that region. Yeah, so right where we're at, um, we're in uh, kind of the southern half of Unit 24, and and that is a draw unit for archery. Um, and there there are other places uh, in the flat tops where it's not that way. Where you know, right next door to us in in Unit 25 and Year Old Stomping Grounds, there that's an over the counter archery unit. So um, I guess I, you know, just make sure folks pay attention to uh, um to where where they're planning to go and in in our particular area in unit 24 it's going to take a non-resident two preference points uh to draw that archery tag uh for the muzzleloader tag that's going to take four to five points um and then as you get into the rifle seasons you know first rifle season technically is a draw although for all intents and purposes it might as well be an over-the-counter tag i think after the draw last last year there were about 1500 first rifle tags left over in our area in the flat tops. Um, and then second and third rifle seasons, those are going to be over the counter for, for rifle. Right. Hey, uh, Ryan, I have a following question there, uh, on that first rifle season. Well, yeah. what's, what's your opinion on it? Cause I, cause I always felt that it was sometimes there was a lot more pressure than people thought during that hunt because it is you know, technically a draw hunt. Do, do you see similar things over in your area or what, what do you see? Yeah, we've seen a ton of pressure during that first rifle season. And I think, especially over the past couple of years, I wonder if that has to do with, you know, we were just talking about these later season dates that maybe some folks who historically hunted, you know, second or third rifle, now that those seasons are getting so late, end of October, early November, um, that some of those folks are now kind of shifting and, and coming to hunt that first rifle season, season instead, we've seen hands down more pressure during first rifle season the last two or three years than we have during any other week of the year. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you're, so you saw the same thing that I saw. Um, and that's, that's important for people to know, because I think there's kind of this, 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 this thought that because it's a draw hunt, there's going to be less pressure and that can actually be the, the opposite of that. And you're right, man. I think that's exactly it. Particularly, you know, a lot of my old clients, Ryan, they, they hunt whitetail once it gets into November, they have other things they already do on their personal schedule. So they, they really don't hunt specific seasons. They, they, they try to hunt specific dates. You know what I mean? Right. Yep. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah, no, I, uh, I saw that. And then, uh, you know, the other question I have and I, and on this, I'm very naive, man, but I think I heard that some, some new areas went draw for archery, correct? In Colorado. 
Yeah, so I believe uh, this year it's it's was the uh, Grand Mesa. Um, I could be wrong on that, but I think I'm pretty sure it's those Grand Mesa units. Um, those are now have gone to a draw for archery as well. And it seems like, you know, that those areas, you know, they, they just kind of keep chipping away at, at what's available in terms of that over the counter archery tag. And from what I'm hearing, you know, from a lot of folks is there's, I think there's a lot of pressure right now to maybe look at getting rid of that over the counter archery season, or maybe not getting rid of it, but at least changing over the counter as, as we know it today. Um, and, and it seems like there's a, a number of different ways that could go. I've heard a lot of suggestions from folks that maybe archery should continue to be over the counter for residents, but maybe go to a draw for non-residents, kind of like it is in Wyoming. Um, and I, there's, I, I think a, a number of different proposals out there right now, but, uh, as they, I, you know, as they continue to chip away at what units are available on that over the counter tag, it's, you know, it's just going to keep pushing people into fewer and fewer areas. And I think eventually they are going to have to look at limiting that somehow. Um, and who knows what yeah, that looks like. It's kind of like once they started doing it, it was, it's inevitable, right? Because the, the crowd, the over the counter crowd is just going to bump over to the you know the neighboring unit that's still right still otc or whatever so so there's yeah. that challenge and then you know over time it it'll it affects uh it just affects the quality of the 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 hunt and, you know in some ways i don't even know ryan that it's you know it, it has a drastic Im impact on populations but it does have a drastic impact on the quality of the hunting right yeah when, when all the over-the-counter uh you know, hunters are all, you know, just forced to be in the same regions. That's yeah. And I, I think that's the bigger thing, you know, biologically, there may not be a huge reason, uh, you know, or a, a big impact there, but I think socially there certainly is. And just in terms of crowding and all that. And, uh, you know, I can tell you, you know, for us being in unit 24, which is a draw unit for archery, I'm, I'm sure glad that we're in a draw unit. Um, I mean, in, in terms of, running a business and booking hunts, it, it might be easier if, if, if we could just sign people up on an over-the-counter tag. But just in terms of the quality of the hunting and seeing fewer hunters out there, it makes for such a nice experience being in a draw unit. Yeah, 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 for sure. And like like you said, you, there's still, there. You know, I don't know the exact quotas over in, in your area, but for archery, but you know, it only takes a couple of years for a non-resident. So it's still very doable. You know what I mean? It's right. not like it's it's jumped all the way up to 10 points or something like that. And I guess that, I mean, I don't know how that math will all pan out, man, but I imagine, you know, as all these units go draw, there's still going to be a lot of them that are one-point units, two-point units, maybe zero-point units. You know, who who knows how it all, it all, there'll still be opportunity, just be a little bit more controlled, which, which I think is a good thing. I, I don't know what your thoughts are. Yeah, I, I think it's a good thing too. I, you know, um, like you said, I, it's it's not like you know these are tags that that take decades or, or you know impossible tags to draw. You know, one or two or sometimes zero preference points. You can you can draw some of these li limited units, and I think you know it's it's worth it's worth planning ahead and waiting a year or two and hunting in a quality unit sometimes. And uh, yeah, I, I, I guess as you know as we look at. Colorado looks at shifting away from this over-the-counter model, at least as we know it today. Um, yeah, there's still going to be a lot of opportunities for folks to be able to hunt every year, maybe every other year. You know, you're not going to be waiting a long time for a tag. Right. Yeah, you just have to plan a little bit and do the do the draw thing, which is probably 
probably good. It's right. it's funny, Ryan, because I don't know how you feel about it, man, but it, it sure seems to me you you always hear these you know general you know data of like it's declining amount of hunters. But I felt in like in the flat tops wilderness, I felt you know there's a little variability year to year, but in general, the trends seem to be more hunters. You know, uh, I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I don't know how to explain that either because you do see those those statistics about how you know hunting participation is declining, and um, it, it just it's hard to see it when you're out there because it seems like there is just more interest and. In, in, more people every year. Um, and I think that's, that's particularly true when it comes to archery, you know, archery, I think has seen a, a growth in participation over the last yeah. 10 years. Um, and that maybe that's, that's part of, you know, why Colorado now is looking at, uh, moving away from this over the counter model. Cause there, there just is a, a ton of participation in archery. And, um, but, uh, but yeah, like we said too, that first rifle season's gotten super popular and, um, yeah, it's 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 good to see people out there participating, um, but uh, yeah, well, I think to make managing it well, I guess. Right. I mean, I think uh, maybe part of it, man, and you hit on it. There's a September and first rifle. You know, all the you know all the backpack hunting, which to me seems like that. I don't. I wish somebody had the data, man, because I know that business is growing. Because you can just look at the businesses that support that type of hunting, and they're mm -hmm. all growing. Right. Like, you know, Kafaru, uh, right. you know, all, you know, all the, you know, the kind of like higher end, like technical clothing companies, they're all growing. So the whole like backpack elk hunting that I, I wish I had the data, but it's got to be growing. And those are really mainly September and first rifle in my mind. I think me and you actually talked about this. Sound like you do some later backpacking, but what are, what are your thoughts? Do you think that 90% of the backpackings during that time or am I off base? No, I think you're spot on. Yeah. And yeah. You look at the, the, uh, companies and, and the media and, and just that, yeah, that backpack, you know, wilderness backcountry, you know, approach to hunting. Um, it, it is gotten popular and, oh yeah. And I, I would, I'm with you. I think September is going to account for a lot of that early October, um and uh, yeah me personally i i love hunting that fourth rifle season i i love hunting elk late and i've i've done some backpacking trips that time of year and i i think it's totally underrated it, it can be a ton of fun though too yeah yeah sure nice man so uh how about uh how about deer ryan what's what's uh what, what's the draw look like for deer and in, in 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 your area and other units you know yeah, you know, in our area, deer tags are pretty darn easy to get. You know, I think like our second rifle season, a deer tag can be drawn resident or non-resident with zero points. Um, and and as a tip, you know, it's typically goes the way it goes is the later seasons tend to be a little bit more difficult to draw. You know, third rifle will be increasingly, you know, more difficult to require a point or two. And then fourth rifle again, maybe a little more just because you're getting closer to that mule deer rut. Um, but even so, I think there's just, there's so many good opportunities to hunt mule deer in Colorado. And what I usually tell folks is I, me personally, I'll never have more than a couple points for deer. I just think there's, there's too many good opportunities out there. You know, you can find mule deer in a good mule deer in any unit in Colorado. Um, there's in my mind, at least, you know, not much reason, you know, to save up. Uh, more than a handful of, of deer points in, in this state. There's just, there's too many fun places to go hunt. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree, man. Um, and, and I feel like, you know, some of the factors that we talked about, uh, who knows how long that'll last. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. There's, there's tons of opera opportunity to go uh to go deer hunting and and i have two questions and i and i don't want to specifically there is one of these type of tags i believe still in the flat tops but there's several of these early rifle tags in some of the wilderness areas in uh, colorado um but do you have any opinion on those ryan usually the real tight quota so so they they'll have they'll they'll take a non-resident quite a few points but do you have any thoughts on those tags yeah, I do. Um, so they can, you know, they can be a lot of fun. Those those early high country tags, we do have one in the flat tops. Um, it's it's valid only within the wilderness area, um, and and that's usually the way these tags are. Uh, they there's you know a number of them around the state. Usually they specify that you have to be hunting inside a wilderness area boundary. I think some even say above a certain elevation. Um, so they're really meant to be used in these um you know remote high country areas and to offer a limit limited opportunity to hunt deer with a rifle in september which is a cool opportunity um you know and i think for folks who may be considering a hunt like that you just gotta you'll think about what um you know what your goals are in terms of a mule deer hunt and and does that fit there so you know for example um the the flat tops tag specifically so that early high country rifle tag allows you to hunt mule deer inside the wilderness in early september with a rifle and you know the 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 cool part of that is it's a remote hunt you're going to be one of very few people up there with a rifle mule deer tag that time of year um you know the the downside of that is is it's going to be pretty physically challenging you've got a lot of country to cover and very few deer, um, let alone, you know, um, really good, good quality bucks. And and there's certainly some, some giant bucks up there that time of year, but you're going to be doing a lot of glassing and probably a lot of walking and covering a lot of country, whether it's on foot or just with glass or both, um, and probably not seeing that many deer. Um, and, and when you do turn one up, you might turn up a really nice one. Um, but that's just, you know, that's what you're signing up for versus if you were to take those same preference points and apply for a fourth rifle season hunt down at lower elevation, it's not going to be a better or worse experience necessarily. It's just going to be a really different experience. You're probably going to see right. a lot more deer in terms of numbers. You're going to have, you know, look over a lot more bucks. Um, and so I think for folks who are, can, you know, maybe toying with how to burn their preference points and looking at maybe one of these high country early hunts or maybe a late, you know, a later season rut hunt, you know, you're just talking about a, a completely different animal and, um, you know, what interests you and what sounds like more fun to you. Yeah, dude, I think you, I think you nailed it, Ryan, like you're, you're spot on, on, on them, particularly the, the one there, but I think that applies to, you know, the other ones too. I think there's one in the Holy Cross, there's ones in some other areas too. I think you you nailed it, man. I I have guided that hunt several times, and it was one of those hunts that I would get so much anxiety about. You know what I mean? Because it it's like I mean you can hunt. I mean there's were hunts that I guided that we we killed a giant deer, and there there were hunts that a guy got skunked and he burnt twelve points on it. You know what I mean? Um, and it's it's tricky. I, the, the one thing I would tell people if they're going to hunt those dates. I, it depends a little bit. They're all, some of them are different dates, or at least they used to be. And hunting those deer up there is totally different 
before they shed or before they scrape their velvet off and after, you know what I mean? Uh, at least for yeah. me in my experience. So if, if you have, if you draw one of those tags, make sure you try to hunt uh, the, the part of the season that's before they rip that velvet off. Yep. That's a good point. But, uh, but yeah, cool tags. Like you say, there's, there's very limited opportunity to, uh, to hunt that way. It always makes me think of that old book. It was like one of the first mule deer books I read. Uh, it was a, it was an Eastman book, a Mike Eastman book, a, you know, like hunting high country mule deer or something like that. And in that book, you realize a lot of the hunting he was doing was during a time when that type of tag was fairly, fairly available, you know, hmm. um, you know, a lot of that, they were hunting a lot of, you know, velvet deer or like right after velvet deer, um, with their gun, with guns, you know, and that, that faded over the years. So, um, right. kind of, kind of interesting, but, but yeah, man, what about, uh, um, sheep and goats, you know, what, what do you got there? What are your, what are your general thoughts for people? I was actually, I, uh, I saw when we started the podcast, you've actually already drawn for a pretty young guy. You've already drawn your sheep tag, your goat tag, your moose tag. Um, outside of just being lucky, man, do you have any specific strategy or thoughts for people on that? Yeah. One, yeah. Get really lucky. Um, yeah, <laughs> I've been able to draw sheep, goat and moose here in Colorado, which I feel pretty darn fortunate to be able to have hunted those. But, um, no, I, I, but I also, at the same time, I mean, I, I pay really close attention to where I'm applying and I give it a lot of thought. So, you know, it, it maybe, um, you know, my, my opinion's a little different because I have gotten lucky, but, you know, I think, I think there are things you can do to kind of, you know, give yourself an edge in these draws. And, you know, um, one of the things I, I always take a look at when I open up that sheep and goat brochure every year, um, and then start thinking about moose is, you know, you look through, you know, the, the draw statistics and, uh, for each of these species, and you'll notice some areas are easier to draw than others. And, um, and, you know, when it comes to sheep tags, for example, you know, a good draws for a sheep tag might be seven, eight, nine percent. So we're, we're still talking when I say good for sheep. I mean, that's all relative good draws for right. sheep. You're still a 90 some percent chance. You're not going to draw that tag. Um, but, you know, there's other other units where, you know, the, the draws are going to be one, two, three percent. And so, you know, I just I try and look through those and, and give myself any edge I can. And sometimes, you know, as you know, this year, for example, you open up that 2023 brochure and it, it shows you the number of tags available in any given unit. And what I'll sometimes do is I'll go I'll go back, I'll get out the 2022 brochure and look and see if there's any units where number of tags have increased or where number of tags have decreased. Because when you're talking about um, an in increase in one tag, um, you know, and, and maybe there's 25, 30, 40 people applying for that specific tag, that can really change your odds if there's one fewer this year or if there's one more this year. And so just looking for little things like that. And then, you know, some, some sheep units, you know, especially, and, and even some moose units, you've got to be careful too, because there's a few out there where they might, on paper, they look like they have really good draw odds, but then you have to look at why that is. You know, sometimes that's because of those sheep, maybe they spend a lot of time on private land and, uh, and getting an opportunity is going to be really tough. So you got to weigh, Hey, is that, is that a risk I'm willing to take? Um, and then there's others, you know, where, 
the the unit might have a little better odds just because it's a wilderness unit and you might have to you know hike you know you might be looking at a eight ten mile hike with three to four thousand vertical feet of elevation gain to get to where those sheep live and maybe that's why the odds are a little bit better in that area and you have to ask yourself okay is that something i'm willing to do um and and same with moose too you know i think moose a lot of times in the in the wilderness you know, kind of units tend to have maybe a little bit better draws than than in other places, or or sometimes it has to do with trophy quality. You know, certain sheep units have really really steep draws because they're known to produce monster rams. And so again, that's another thing you can ask yourself: like, hey, am I willing to give up maybe a little bit of of trophy quality for the opportunity to go hunt and sheep, knowing that hey, I, I I'm going to be perfectly tickled with like a mid 150s kind of ram. You know, I don't need to kill a, a monster ram. Right. Um, so those are those are all kind of I think good questions to ask yourself as you're looking at those. Yeah, man. You know, Ryan, did you ever, you ever notice when you're doing that uh, that analysis? Because uh, I'm this. I was always the same way. I always, you know, people tend to just go with like the status quo of what they've been doing the last ten years. They just put in for the same units or whatever. But that in these particular draws, you have to be really careful about that, man, because you brought up two things I think are really important for people to think about. And that's when they increase tags and they decrease tags and then the quality, you know, the trophy quality or just the the quantity of animals in a unit. Those the draw odds in my mind always lag those the the real variables. Right. So what I mean Mm. by that is like. If they double the goat tags in a unit, and they've done that in several units, I mean, that's the extreme case. But even if they only add they add two more, if the the per person odds almost always lag, right? It takes a few years for them to catch up. Like if they mm-hmm. if when they increase tags, almost always that you know that uh, that tag is going to be way easier to draw. And if they do a big chunk of tags, it becomes substantially easier to draw some of the times. And I think I think people are fearful of that because they think like, oh, there's going to be way more hunters in there. Um, but almost always, in my experience, that if you can if you can strike right when that happens and you and you benefit of those odds, it's a it's a good thing. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, I think I think so too. Yeah, and eventually, yeah, like you said, in a few years, that's going to catch up. Um, yeah. but, but yeah, if you can be on the, on the front end of that and, and sometimes, you know, that that's true when they add new units as well. Um, yeah. you know, I think, you know, every year it seems like they add a, a new moose tag or two in, in an area and because there's no historical harvest data, you know, people may be hesitant to, uh, to apply for it right away. You know, what kind of moose are they killing there? Are they, are there, you know, there's a lot of those questions that are, that are unanswered the first couple of years, there's a new tag. And uh, that can be a great place to apply as well. Yeah, dude, it's funny because there's for sure, particularly on sheep, I saw this, Ryan. And that's that a lot of times, I mean, people will look at the like what was harvested the last couple of years. There's one particular unit that that I've guided a bunch of goat hunts in. And I remember guiding goat hunts in there and seeing rams and just being like, dude, this is like there are world class rams in here. And when you looked at the stats for the last three years, it was like as if it was the most horrible sheep unit in Colorado. You know what I mean? And it was like, in in my mind, I'm like, dude, I have like incredible information on this thing. And and But the thing that was unique 
is there might have been like a total of like 18 to 25 rams in the whole unit. You know what I mean? But there right. was like three or four rams that were straight spectacular sheep. Mm-hmm. But it's real remote, had remote spots, that sort of thing. Um, and I remember like I was putting in for it and then and then it clicked. Like somebody figured it out and they just hammered like three big old rams in there in a couple right. of year period. And the draw odds skyrocketed like they or that you know they got way more difficult well all those people that started putting it in put it putting it in for the unit didn't realize that the three big rams were all dead so, so now so now they're actually putting in for a unit that really wasn't all that good you know what i mean yep exactly i think that happens more than more than more than people think you know what i mean yep yeah and that's that's funny because that's actually really really true of the unit where I ended up drawing my Ram tag um, back in 2010 at the time, you know, uh, I remember chatting with the biologist up there and I actually, I volunteered that, that summer for the uh, uh, Colorado parks and wildlife. They do annual sheep and goat counts Oh sure. Uh, in some of these places around the state. And I, I volunteered that year in part <laughs> just so I could have a, have an excuse to spend a day chatting with the biologist. And um, yeah, basically the, the, the area, that, that I ended up drawing, it was an area where there's one band of rams and a lot of country and you got to find them. And, and it's not known for producing very big rams, but at least at that time, I mean, there were, there were some nice rams in there. Um, but, but because it's a low density unit and, and it's in an inside a wilderness area. So it's, you know, it, it requires a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of legwork to get up in there and find them. Um, the draws were a little bit better and, and that worked out in my favor. So yeah, all those are all, I think, really good things for folks to pay attention to. And I think you mentioned, you know, people just tend to do their status quo and apply for the same units over and over. And, and it, it really is worth paying attention to, um, you know, it, it, is there even a non-resident tag in that unit this year? I mean, right. stuff like that can change from year to year. Yeah. And that makes a big difference on draw odds too. You know, I noticed that, you know, particularly for residents, Ryan, is like some of those units, um, like I know S2 used to be like that. They used to flip flip in a non-resident tag, right? So like it might be like every other year. Well, I can't remember what the rotation was. But the, right. year, the year that a non-resident tag was in that unit, the draw odds for the resident were way, way worse. Where really, theoretically, residents should have recognized that and maybe chose other units. You know what I mean? But exactly. that's not what happens. People just put in for it and, the, and they just bear way worse odds. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So it's, it's kind of a, yeah. It's, and it's just based on that, that, that people are just sticky to the units they, they want to put into and they don't really, a lot of times they won't look at those, look at those things. Um, Brian, is there any other, any other things that people should think about? Um, you know, in terms of the elk draw or anything like that, I had just one question pop in my head. But before I ask you that, are, are, is there anything we missed? Or is there anything specific to to your hunting that people should know in terms of the draw? Yeah, you know, I, I think um, I, I guess one thing I, I always like to to tell folks is just, you know, make make sure one you're thinking ahead. So, you know, our our archer unit is a good example. It, it takes a couple preference points to draw and. Um, you know, it's, it's not hard, you know, it's tags are easy to get. You just have to plan a year or two ahead. And, um, so just, you know, not only think about what your plan is for this year, but, you know, start thinking about what what your plan is for each species, whether that's 
deer elk or antelope or whatever, you know, what your plan is a year from now or two years from now. And, um, and, uh, what, what I usually do is, you know, I, I kind of like to, to burn my points on a rotating basis. So, you know, instead of burning both my elk and my deer and my antelope points and everything this year, you know, like, like a lot of folks, I'm sure my vacation time and time away from family and everything is limited. So, you know, usually I, I try and rotate those. So, okay, this year I'm, I'm going to burn my elk points and I'm going to save a deer point and I'm going to save a pronghorn point and then look at maybe burning those, you know, next year or the year after and, and just start thinking ahead about that stuff. And I think, you know, you can, you can do a lot of, you could do a quality hunt every year, you know, if, if you rotate, you know, through your points like that and, and not only with your own points, but then with family members or friends as well, you know, my friends and I, you know, we, we help each other out on hunts when we draw good tags and, um, and we, we coordinate those things. So, you know, we're not, um, doubling up on, on, on tags and we don't have the time to, to put in, you know, to make them worth the while. So I think, I think that's, you know, one good thing for folks to remember, um, and then the other thing I think is important for folks to remember too is um, just because you're applying for a point doesn't mean you can't also get a tag that same year. So, you know, that that first rifle tag in the flat tops is a great example. You know, that one you can pick up leftover. I mean, it it, right. it doesn't require you apply in first choice. So, you know, if if you're working toward an archery hunt, maybe in 2025 or 2026, then apply for that point, but then apply for a tag second choice. And, and, you know, there's still an opportunity to go hunting this year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And, and, uh, I don't know that, and there's, there used to be a, a bit of that going on too, on, on mule deer, even, I, I don't know recently if that's changed, but you know, there might be opportunities where people can kind of figure that out also where, where they put in for certain tags as second choice and they get them and then they're able to to keep a point, there might be some opportunity for that too. But dude, I, you you hit on a piece of advice that I think is huge, Ryan, because it it's a reminder to me at least that I think personally that right now are like the good old days for Western hunting. Right? We there's all these things we complain about, and there's a bunch of stuff going on in Colorado that I think we can get really uh, you know negative on in terms of uh, you know uh, Western big game hunting. But in terms of the opportunity that we all have right now between you know, just a couple states or even one state, if you've got a couple of kids that hunt or family members that hunt or good buddies that hunt, like you can plan it out where literally every year you're going on a couple phenomenal hunts. And then, and then maybe just your, your basic hunt, your, your, you know, your harder hunts, your over the counter stuff or whatever you're doing that also. But if you plan it out, man, like there's no reason why a guy can't go on some pretty cool hunts every year of his life. Right. Oh yeah. And I, I love doing that. You know, every year I'll get together with, with my family and, and with my friends and we'll all talk about, okay, what's the plan? And, and we'll plan those things out And every single year. Yeah. Like you said, we're going on a really good quality hunt, at least one. Um, and uh, that's, that can be a really fun way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you know, uh, Ryan, are you familiar with how the youth quote, the youth um, uh, doe and cow quota works in Colorado? You know, I, uh, I am probably not the, the best person to ask about that, but my, um, my oldest, uh, he is 11 now and he'll be 12, uh, by next fall. So I actually just started looking into that for him. Um, and it looks like there are some cool opportunities here in Colorado, um, particularly, particularly for antlerless tags. So, um, doe, uh, mule deer and doe antelope tags, and then cow elk tags, youth get preference on those tags in the draw, 
Um, as far as I know, like I said, I'm I'm not. I just started looking into this, so I'm not super familiar with it sure. yet. But uh, I don't think there's any preference on on antlered tags. But for those right. antlerless tags, there's some really cool opportunities. And then the other neat thing is, is for youth who have an antlerless tag um, and they don't fill it during their regular season, they can then return and hunt during a later season that year in that area. So, um, and that's that's all explained in that big game brochure. But uh, yeah, it looks like some cool stuff for kids. Yeah, I think they're I think they're pretty cool. I, I'm kind of probably at the same level of um, knowledge on it as you, Ryan. But I do remember I had clients that took advantage of it quite often, and I think that people should look into it because the way I understand it, man, there's quite a few of these you know pretty good elk units where uh, a kid can draw a cow tag um, because of that preference. It's a pretty steep preference. I I I don't want to quote numbers because I don't want to just be wrong publicly <laughs> but but it's a it's it's enough where um a kid in general most of the units if there's a a, a decent size quota of cow tags generally kids are going to draw them and that's pretty neat because there's some units that you can take a kid hunting there and go kill a cow elk which to me is that's a substantial hunt for a kid that's a freaking blast but you can be somewhere where the density of elk is fairly high and that in its own right yeah, sure, it's a meat hunt, and it's you know to to some extent, but it's still a very cool hunt. I think it's a cool opportunity for for folks. Yeah, really cool. And actually, while we were while you're uh, chatting there, I, I have the brochure in front of me here. And so for those antlerless uh, doe and cow tags, it's a fifteen percent preference right off the top goes to youth. Yeah, uh, that that is significant. Yeah, and a lot of times I've I've looked at. I'm just gotta like I'm stirring up the memories. A lot of the times that fifteen percent uh, preference is is undersubscribed in terms of mm -hmm. how many youth actually apply. Um, I think that's I think that's actually usually the case. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a cool opportunity for folks. And, and then another cool thing to remember too is so Colorado now has a, a secondary draw, and in that secondary draw, it is total youth preference. Um, so you get preference on all tags in that draw. So that's another big opportunity for, for kids to pick up some really good tags too. Oh, um, really? I didn't know that. That's, uh, yeah. that is awesome. Um, good deal. And that's, uh, Ryan, uh, fill, fill the listeners in how that process works, um, in terms of the secondary draw. And then dude, I actually forgot because it was always changing, but how the leftover list, uh, works in Colorado now. Yeah. So, um, the way that works now is, um, after, after the primary draw, so draw results, uh, will, will come out, um, in end of May, early June. Um, and then the, the secondary draw happens later in June. Uh, the deadline for that one, I think is June 30th. Um, and, and what, what folks will find, you know, available in that secondary draw are a number of things. So one are any tags that were undersubscribed in the primary draw. So, you know, if, if in the primary draw, all tags were allocated to everyone who wanted one, um, first, second, third, fourth choice, anything that's left is going to go into that, that secondary draw. But then the, the other thing that goes into that secondary draw is going to be, you know, if there were limited tags that maybe someone drew a limited tag and then they didn't pay for it by the payment deadline, that tag is also going to be kicked into the secondary draw. Or if someone decided after the primary draw, they drew a, you know, a tag for a limited unit and they decide, I think they have a week 
uh, or 10 days or something like that to decide if they want that tag. If they say, hey, I never mind, I want to return this tag, any of those return tags also go into the secondary draw. So there's actually, there's a potential for there to be some really pretty good quality tags in that secondary draw, in addition to, to the ones that were just left over. Right. And then how are they allocating like the tags that after the secondary draw? And, you know, I don't know what the, the time limit is, but up until essentially the season start, whatever people will, people will return tags for all a, a bunch of different reasons. How are they, how are they dealing those back out now? Yeah. So tags that get either turned in or not paid for. And then, you know, after the secondary draw, um, it's early August sometime. I don't have that date in front of me, oh, but okay. in early August, it's the same date that over the counters go on sale. Um, basically all those, all those turned in leftover tags will all go on sale on that, that, that Tuesday in August. It's, it's one of the, I think maybe the first Tuesday in August, I'm not sure. Um, and, uh, and all those tags will be available on that day. And, and that's, that day is always kind of known as leftover day around here. Um, you know, folks calling in and, and uh, trying to get tags online. But then, you know, folks can continue to turn in tags um, up really up until the season begins. And those get kicked out um, every Wednesday, uh, really up, up until that, that season's over. So, for example, um, you know, let's say a, a really high quality tag, like a, a unit 76 archery tag, which normally takes, you know, nine, 10 points to draw. If, if someone before the archery season begins decides to turn that tag in, what will happen is uh, Colorado Parks and Wildlife puts out a preview on, on Tuesday afternoons every week of all the tags that are going to be on the leftover list that, that week. And then starting Wednesday, I think it's Wednesday at 10 or 11 a.m., something like that, all those licenses become available. So it's really just a first come, first serve, log in at 10 a.m. And, and try to get that tag before it's gone. And usually if there's any good tags like that on the list, uh, those are gone in, in seconds. Yeah, so it's just a computer game in terms of trying to get in there first. Trying to be the first one in there, yep. yeah. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Cool, man. Well, uh, it was awesome to have you on, Ryan. I think there's tons of, tons of good tips and stuff in here. And thanks for covering. Let the uh, let the listeners know where they can follow you, um, and uh, and you know follow along with your hunting and your outfitting and all that. Yeah, so we are uh, Budge's Wilderness Lodge, and uh, we're you know like we said up in the uh, the Flat Tops Wilderness, um, cool part of Colorado. And you can find us. Uh, our website is uh, budgeslodge.com, and then we're also on Instagram at Budge's Lodge as well. Good deal, man. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks, Cliff. Enjoyed it. If you want to keep in touch with me, get on my website at pursuitwithcliff.com and sign up for the newsletter. Check out my YouTube channel. It's just under my name, Cliff Gray. And you can follow me on Instagram at cliffgry. Thanks for listening.